Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted and privileged to welcome a senior and accomplished healthcare entrepreneur who is also a fellow member of the YPO from Toronto, Canada, Helen Stevenson. Helen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Helen is the founder and chief executive officer of the Reformulary Group Incorporated, a healthcare company. She was earlier the assistant deputy minister of health and executive officer, uh, Ontario, for the public drugs programs. And as I mentioned, she's a member of the YPO. So Helen, let's start talking about the Reformulary Group. Tell me a little bit about this venture. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say... Um... You know, our, our mission is really is to make more drugs more affordable for more Canadians. Mm-hmm. And we do that through a, a really um, innovative approach in yeah. terms of essentially creating a subscription-based service. So a SaaS model, as is commonly referred to now, mm-hmm. that behind the scenes, right, recommends which drugs provide the best healthcare value. And that in itself is based on this really extensive review of Mm -hmm. clinical data, cost data, et cetera, related to each drug. Mm -hmm. So again, our mission is really around making more drugs more affordable for more Canadians. Mm -hmm. And is this uh, primarily in Canada or are you extending your scope to the US as well? So currently we're in Canada. Some of our platforms could be extended more broadly outside of Canada, but the market here is still we're still capturing more of the market. And so mm-hmm. this is our focus, but there's certainly some of our products could definitely go international. Amazing. And, you know, you also uh, you know, were, uh, if I can use the term, a public servant. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you give up that part of, the, 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 of life and become an entrepreneur? Yeah. So actually that part of life was the, I'll say the anomaly, anomaly in my life. Mm-hmm. I had previously been, um, I had a, I had done my education, my undergraduate here in Canada, went to Europe to do my MBA, mm-hmm. did it there and actually then worked in a consulting company in healthcare and then founded my own consulting company, okay. moved that one here. So I actually was an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and was approached by the provincial government to do big reforms, mm-hmm. partially because the kind of work that I had been doing in healthcare was more sort of big systems thinking, not IT systems, but rather health systems thinking. Mm -hmm. And so they really needed, the government at the time needed Mm -hmm. someone to come in um, and really disrupt the system with sort of no, you know, biases, et cetera. Mm. So, you know, uh, Helen, when I was reading about you, you also say that you, you know, you make sense of medicine, both prescription drugs and medical cannabis. Medical cannabis is something which is, being talked about and debated about all over the world. Tell me a little bit about uh, what are you doing in the world of cannabis? Right. So, so, um, so just to, to, to frame that a little bit. So again, our, our sort of, you know, um, original product is this big drug formulary and we mm-hmm. sell access on a subscription basis. And through that, we work with different medical experts mm-hmm. and it was really actually through our customers. So our customers being, Um, large and small Canadian companies, associations, Mm. unions, etc. They started to ask us what to do about medical cannabis. And it was sort of the timing here in Canada with respect to medical cannabis was off, you could get an authorization and you could Mm. get access to it. But the legalization of recreational cannabis was 
sort of on the horizon at the time. Mm. And so as a result, a lot of employees, a lot of Canadians were asking, you know, we hear about medical cannabis, what should we do? So we thought, well, what do we do? What is our expertise? It's mm. really doing these massive reviews and sort of making sense of the evidence, right? Mm. Making sense of medicine. So we put together a group of physicians that were real experts in authorizing cannabis. And we started to look at the whole medical market. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, medical cannabis is, is much in some ways much more complex, right? Than prescription drugs, because prescription right. drugs, we know the clinical trials they go through. We know the, we know the standard of evidence, for instance, what's required to get approved. Mm -hmm. And on the medical cannabis side, it's really not like that. It's, um, it's not a, it's not a specific brand that is being tested per se, but it's a specific strain, for instance, and strains can have the same name and all be different. And so it was very complex. So just quickly, we, we set out then to look at the evidence worldwide. Mm -hmm. So that is one sort of very unique part of medical cannabis is that there's no one country really at the time, at least that it was sort of ahead in terms of, of you know, clinical evidence. And so we looked worldwide at studies mm -hmm. and really narrowed in, in terms of what medical conditions and symptoms, mm -hmm. because cannabis treats a symptom. It does not cure a medical condition. Mm -hmm. And so we looked at the symptoms and then built out a platform where people could go in and put in their condition and symptoms mm -hmm. and get information or a recommendation with respect to what they could try. So it was really, again, to try to, again, along that, that theme of making sense of, of medicine, in this case, cannabinoid-based medicine. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that is often debated, I was speaking to someone else who's in the business of cannabis, and I was asking them that while I appreciate the, the fact that cannabis is good for medical purposes, how do you determine or make sure that it is not misused? What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, I think it's hard. I think it's difficult because now we can get, you know, now the, the you know, sort of back when we developed it, we still did have these two medical streams mm -hmm. and recreational streams. Yeah. When the recre right, recreational, you know, marijuana got legalized um, over the, the past few years, people now that were taking medical products, many people just now reverted to the recreational because it's more accessible, it's sometimes less expensive, et cetera. Mm. And so it's, you ask an excellent question because it's become more difficult. Mm. And so it's more difficult. And there's also the way, at least in Canada, medical cannabis is dispensed. You know, there are organizations out there that get, um, you know, that are, I'll say independent clinical, but they get incented by, you mm -hmm. know, cannabis licensed producers. And so that kind of, I would argue, muddies the waters a little bit. It takes mm -hmm. a little bit of the independence away from the dispensing of medical cannabis. Mm -hmm. So it really, I think, is taking a step back and, and really seeking out physicians who are specialized. Right. And again, you know, how much THC and CBD, which are two of the, you know, mm -hmm. key components of, of cannabis mm -hmm. and, and, you know, starting sort of from back from the actual ingredients and, and then making decisions. Fascinating. You also say that, you know, you're working towards making drugs more affordable. And mm -hmm. therefore, I'm assuming that one of the things that you're working on is more generic uh, medicines. So generic, yeah, generic, it's a, yeah, generic medicines feature very prominently. Mm. Um, it's also with respect to, I mean, the way that we managed our big drug list is, again, looking at the clinical data, and that has, right, is the most important, but then looking at the cost effective. And, and something, and I, I think this is, 
you know, it's a theme around the, the world. But, you know, something I often say here in Canada is a lot of Canadians think that when they when they leave their doctor's office with a prescription, that that's the only drug that treats right. their medical condition. Mm. And it's usually the complete opposite. Usually there are many medications to treat a specific condition. Mm. It's just that in Canada, at least Canadians didn't know that. You know, physicians don't necessarily have access to all of that information. And so as a result, right, you have these, you know, sort of prescribing where it's it's often sort of one, you know, one specific drug. Mm. What we did then in these big clinical reviews is looking at all of that and saying, for drug A, here's drug B, C, D, E that work just as well and cost less. Mm. So therein is making more affordable. We also try to, you know, negotiate lower prices on the on the cost of drugs. And we're also then moving into a space that you're very familiar with in the pharmacy space mm. around trying to build, you know, partnerships with pharmacy to, again, try to make drugs more affordable. Mm. That's amazing. You know, one of the problems we face in India uh, is that in pharmacies, we are only permitted to fill a prescription, mm -hmm. which means that if a doctor has written a branded medicine, we have to give that same medicine. It cannot be substituted. Uh -huh. Result in if you want a simple little salt combination, yeah. uh, you would end up keeping 20 different varieties of the same product, which leads me to my next question, which is that most people I have spoken to in my part of the world, the government mm -hmm. is struggling to get doctors to write the salt and not the brand. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. So, and we would call that salt, the sort of the active ingredient. So that is a, that's a, I, so first of all, I didn't know that. So that's yeah. very interesting. Thank you. So mm -hmm. here in Canada, pharmacists have the prescribing authority to substitute the generic for the brand. Mm. So they're allowed to substitute the active ingredient, right? It's based on the active ingredient. I mean, I think this is one of the most, I'm going to characterize it as the most, the easiest mm. way to sustainability and to affordability around drugs mm. with respect to allowing the pharmacist to substitute that generic for the brand. Because I don't know sort of your generic, like sort of the whole pricing in Canada. And this was part of the work I did in government, right? The pricing of generics and brand, um, I'll say historically, I don't really quite know why we, we did this decades and decades ago, but it's actually tied to the price of the brand. So it's a percentage of the brand price. But you know, nowadays here in Canada, generics might be 10% of the price of the brand. Correct. And so you can imagine, right, how affordable then generic drugs are. Absolutely. So I think that is, you know, to your point, one of the most, the sort of if I can dare I say, easiest, hmm. um, you know, opportunities to be able to make drugs more affordable. And then on the other side, as it relates to this idea of brands, you know, again, there's multiple brands, right? Some of which may be less expensive. And we need, really need to put that information in the hands of consumers. So, you know, in, we have another very interesting uh, uh, development in our pharmacy business or in the pharmaceutical world. When there was a restriction to generics, the large pharmaceutical companies thought that this would this was a great opportunity to get in with what they now call a branded generic. Aha, we have there those two. Branded medicine, a branded generic, and a generic. Yeah. And, and the factor could be as much as you know 10%, 30%, yeah. and 100%, you know. So yeah, they're called authorized generics here. Yes, so I completely understand about that. I mean, okay. I guess it would be fine if it was the same price, but really. 
I mean, you know, like in India, right? This sort of whole idea of you have a patent for this long and yeah, that protects yeah, yeah. your pricing in the market and then generics. I mean, generics are a, a vital part Absolutely. of making medicines more affordable. Absolutely. The other point I wanted to get your thoughts on is uh, the cost of medicines. Mm -hmm. I know in, 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 in the Western part world, your market, the US, large mm -hmm. parts of Europe, prices are completely going out of line. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your thoughts on managing these prices? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it's I would sort of take it back to this idea of where possible, mm -hmm. looking at are there alternatives that work just as well. Mm -hmm. And so the drugs that are more much more expensive, right, mm -hmm. that perhaps they're not covered by, you know, plants. The other side, though, I suspect what you're also referring to are these more what I call specialty drugs. Mm -hmm. So drugs that treat rare diseases, that treat sort of cancer, that treat multiple sclerosis, so conditions like that. And those are, I mean, it is a real dilemma. I, I will say just before this call, I was on the call from with some a very um, a physician around, we handle some requests, specialty requests for different plans. And this particular one is for a drug that's about a million dollars per person per year. Hmm. So, you know, to your point, you know, there's, and there's even drugs that are more expensive than that. Hmm. These are, I think these, um, at least here in Canada, you know, governments are going to need to step in and pick up the cost of these drugs hmm. because the other dynamic, the inequity, let's say from different plans, be them, you know, private sector plans, so employers that cover versus governments. I mean, that's just not sustainable, that kind right. of, I mean, we're a small company. We couldn't, we have a plan that just couldn't sustain a claim mm. like that. So I, I think it's around, it's also certainly around narrowing in the people that will achieve, let's say the greatest benefit, mm. um, which, you know, again, raises its own sort of, I know some people what, you know might challenge that, but we have to find a way to be able to bring them down and maybe allow some of these more, you know, authorized, not quite generics, but biosimilars, right, mm -hmm. of these biologics mm -hmm. in. I'm certainly interested in, in how you're, you know, handling that too, because um, it, it's really, really. Yeah, we, we have, we have uh, a very strong government and there is a law called the Drug Price Control Order. And uh -huh. they just keep reducing the margins that pharmaceutical companies can charge. So, mm. so that is one part of it. But we have another challenge in, up in, in India. I'm not sure if you have faced it. And that is that almost 30% of the medicines that are sold in, in markets in, in this part of the world are what you would call fake or underpowered. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, have you faced something similar? And if so, uh, what, what have you done about it? We, we haven't really. I think there might be, I mean, you could probably count on one or two hands, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the cases of that. So we haven't, I suspect it's partially sort of our regulatory bodies, but right. also I'll call it the supply chain integrity mm. um, that is in place here. And I suspect that's a, a big reason, not to mention the, the sort of local pharmaceutical companies. I suspect that's a big reason for mm. the fact that we haven't seen, um, you know, a real emergence of that. Also, uh, the general view seems to be in when I read it, uh, articles that a lot of the medicines to the US are finding their way through Canada. Um, have you, you mean fake, fake medicines? No, all kinds of medicines because all kinds of medicines. Yeah, it's interesting. So um, 
you know, what's interesting is, is, and, and when I was in government, we did a huge review of all of this, is mm-hmm. the pricing of generics in Canada is much, much higher than the U.S., mm-hmm. but the pricing of brands is lower than in the U.S. Correct. Now, some of that reason is in the U.S., they allow direct-to-consumer advertising. That is not allowed in Canada, yeah. although companies seem to be trying to get around it with all mm-hmm. sorts of, you know, jingle ads of drug names, for instance. <laughs> Um, yes. But I was I was actually not aware that the 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 stat that the majority of drugs coming through Canada that that sort of surprises me. But again, I I don't miss I, I wasn't aware of that. Fair enough. So let's move on, Helen, and talk a little bit about the app and the platform that we spoke about right in the beginning of our conversation. One is the your drug finder app, and the other is the cannabis standard platform. Tell me a little right. bit about what uh, these uh, platforms and apps are for. Sure, I'd love to. So, so our drug finder app, when we when we built this big drug list or formulary, mm-hmm. as it's called, mm-hmm. many years ago, and we put built in this advice with respect to for this drug, these are the alternatives. We kind of sat back, a colleague and I, and thought, well, how will people figure that out? Mm-hmm. So, how will they figure it out? Is that we'll put it in an app, mm-hmm. and it's a desktop tool, etc. And we'll literally put it so that you could enter a drug name. And you can search all the alternatives that work just as well, but cost less. Mm. And so that's what Drug Finder essentially is. Um, It's updated every month and it has become, I'd say, a a sort of an incredibly valuable tool for people wanting to know what alternatives there are. Mm. And so we are now really looking at expanding that to, you know, any Canadian across the country, not just Canadians subscribe to to our drug Mm. list. Um, And similarly, Cannabis Standard was... I mean, it was a, a slightly different, but the same goal in terms of summarizing the evidence and mm. putting that evidence in a tool that was accessible to Canadians. So they go in, they they tick off their medical condition, they identify their symptoms, and the platform then is really from the algorithms pulling from where there's good quality evidence to consider using can, medical cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so they're sort of a slightly different, but the same goal of providing those recommendations. Mm. So what what I'm understanding, unless I'm wrong in understanding this, is that these are more information-related apps rather than an e-commerce app, is it? Um, So, yeah, uh, yes. The Drug Finder one, we're actually moving in the direction of making it an e-commerce app. So connecting it to a pharmacy. So you're in the app, you say up that alternative, and you go head to the pharmacy, essentially, the digital pharmacy. Mm, Interesting. Yes. So let's move on now, uh, Helen, and talk a little bit about a few questions for you personally, because my audience loves to get to know my guest a little better. Mm. So let me start by asking you that, you know, uh, studied in Canada, in Europe, I've done some amazing works in your career, worked in the government, now an entrepreneur. What would you say are three key milestones in your life or your career? Yeah, Um, I mean, I would say I'll put even as number one is, you know, managing a demanding career and raising three, I'll characterize them, I'm biased, Mm -hmm. generous, smart and honest children as a single mom. So I was a single mom for 10 years. I was the sole supporter of my kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, their dad was somewhat involved, but I was the sole supporter. So that is probably one of my major milestones is getting my kids right to a point through their education, et cetera. Right. 
Um, another one, you know, equally as important um, is delivering a billion and a half dollars of savings to the Ontario government by, in other words, taxpayers. Mm-hmm. And that was really as a result of these, I would characterize them as very ambitious. They were also controversial. We had a lot of unhappy stakeholders, mm-hmm. but ambitious and controversial reforms that we brought forward to the government and which they embraced in whole mm-hmm. and implemented. And that also um, sort of despite threats to my personal security during that time, because we had very upset mm-hmm. um, stakeholders that were corporations. And so my personal security was threatened a number of times. Um, so that's certainly, I'd say, a, a key milestone for me. That was a, a big step leaving a successful consulting practice going in there. Mm-hmm. But I just knew this was a tremendous opportunity for me and would be a real milestone. Amazing. Yeah. And then I'd also say founding Reformulary Group in mm-hmm. a, you know, what at the time was sort of, I'll characterize it a bit as an old fashioned industry and being able to really disrupt it and bringing a new approach, mm-hmm. right, to drug plans that provides better value. Amazing, amazing. So I have time for two more questions for you. Yes. Uh, my next question, Helen, is who or what inspires you to keep doing so many different and amazing things? So, I mean, I, I'd say I, um, I mean, my own sort of energy to want to be, you know, to, to learn more. I'm very hungry to learn, to read, to experience things. And then I also, I'd say there are a number of people around me and, you know, several of which are, are other women mm-hmm. who really inspire me, be it, you know, sort of hardships they may have come with or success that they've achieved that mm-hmm. was, you know, has been really deserving. Mm-hmm. So that's certainly, um, I'd say, what really inspires me. Amazing. And my last question to you, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. What would you say are three lessons you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from our conversation? Yeah. So, so three, so first of all, I'd say be fearless. Mm -hmm. So for most of my life, Mm -hmm. um, I've been a risk taker and that said my entire family is risk averse. Mm -hmm. My parents were my brother, but I was the one who, you know, went to a university where sort of I was the only one from my school, went overseas, arrived on in, in Belgium with a suitcase and nowhere to live and, mm-hmm. you know, left a role to go into government and left government to found this. So I'd say to people, be fearless. Mm-hmm. I mean, you do need to, you know, certainly consider risk. Be resilient. Yeah. So resilience, right? Entrepreneurs need resilience to build yeah. a, a business. Yeah. Um, and be authentic. So be transparent with your intentions, right? Really demonstrate value-driven behaviors. And I would say, and I'm I may be going to lean into being a woman, but mm-hmm. you know, authentic leadership also means you can show your emotions. Correct. And you know, that's I think that can be a very empowering, you know, very and and really show authenticity to to your colleagues, to your audience, to your family. Mm. Very well said. Very well said. And um, on that note, uh, Helen, of be curious, be fearless, be resilient, be authentic, and be emotional. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thank you for talking to me about your incredible journey, uh, about the reformulary group and the way you are configuring and, and growing the business. Thank you for talking to me about both your uh, app, Drug Finder app, and the Cannabis Standard app. And thank you for sharing some insights into your own life and your own journey. Thank you again and good luck. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast. A platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.